Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thank you so much for listening to Fat-Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. I'm coming to you this week from Nashville, Tennessee. We just hauled the RV up from Florida, uh, doing another cross-country trip. This has been really cool. Uh, Just spent some quality time with my folks in Florida, drinking plenty of coffee, a wee bit of wine, and even playing music with my mom and dad at the farmer's market in St. Augustine. So if you want to hear me sing like Johnny Cash, stay tuned. We're almost finished with a new album I recorded with a past guest of the show, and band leader of the Tim McGraw band, Mr. Denny Hemmingson. The album is going to be called Swamp Thing, and it's some of my original tunes, some of Denny's, and a few we even wrote on the spot in the studio. So if you want to listen to a few cuts of the album as soon as they're ready, make sure you sign up for my newsletter at fatburningman.com to stay up to date. Maybe I'll even tease out a few of the tunes on this podcast. You never know. But the best way to keep in touch is to visit fatburningman.com and sign up for the newsletter. Plenty of fun to come. John Kiefer of Car Backloading, Steve Cam of Nerd Fitness, and Dr. Amy Myers are all coming up on this show in the weeks ahead. But this week, we're going to be with Dr. David Perlmutter. But before we get to that, here's the review of the week. Love Abel, (laughs) five stars from Cag Tag Mama. Always makes me smile and I truly appreciate that he offers up great information in a positive way. I've stopped listening to the podcasters that feel they need to bash other people in their protocols. You won't get that here and I'll be a loyal listener forever. Really glad he's back, by the way. No more going off the grid, Abel. (laughs) So yeah, I was off the grid for like six to eight months, I guess. You guys didn't hear from me for a while on this podcast, mostly because I didn't have internet. We were in international countries. Uh, I was finishing up my book. We were, uh, you know, hauling around this country, mostly living in the woods in uh, in Colorado, in the desert, in Utah, all over the place. But yes, I am back and <laughs> I'm totally ready to rock. So thank you so much for bearing with me in the meantime. Uh, it's it's really cool to be back, and I hope that you guys are enjoying The Wild Diet, the book that was a product of some of the time I took off going off the grid uh, and, and going off technology. I'm going to be writing a lot uh, in terms of blog posts and putting out uh, more shows about kind of like doing a technological fast because I think that's one of the things that's, you know, not only totally paleo, <laughs> but really good for you too. So I'll be talking about that soon. But returning to the show this week, I'm very excited to say, is Dr. David Perlmutter, a board-certified neurologist and fellow of the American College of Nutrition. Dr. Perlmutter is the author of the bestseller, Grain Brain, a great read, and visit fatburningman.com to listen to him talk about it on a previous episode. But he's here this week to talk about his new book, Brain Maker. So on this show, you'll learn why your gut bacteria might be causing you to store fat, how to introduce fat-burning flora into your gut, and the surprising promise of fecal transplants. All right, let's go hang out with the doc. All right, folks, I'm very happy to be here once again with Dr. David Perlmutter, and he's the author of uh, Brain Maker, which he just told me is the number one book in brain health in America after being out for six days. Congratulations, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Abel, and I I appreciate the introduction. Absolutely. So why don't we get started with... um, a kind of a general idea of what you talk about in this book for those who haven't read it yet, although I encourage everyone to do so, um, not only because it's just about the only book I've ever seen with a pickled eggs recipe, but also because it has really powerful information about your microbiome, which is something that 
uh, as we were talking about before uh, this interview, is it's something that wasn't really talked about very much at all until just a few years ago. And now it's it's being seen as one of the most important things in in health, generally speaking, and and certainly for uh, particular uh, conditions as well. So why don't we talk about what the microbiome is and and go from there? Oh, absolutely. So. Well, let me take a step back. And, you know, I'm a neurologist. I think your, your viewers understand that, a yeah. brain specialist. And pretty much in my field over the years, it was, until quite recently, kind of a, a scenario of diagnose and adios, meaning, you know, we'd make a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or whatever it is. We had very little to offer our patients. Right. Well, that playing field has been changed dramatically with our new understanding of the microbiome this collection of 100 trillion plus uh, organisms, mostly bacteria living within the human gut, they're not just there, they're not just along for the ride, but they are absolute symbiotes. Mm -hmm. They are helping us and we're helping them. We're providing them food and a place to live. And in exchange, they're modulating our metabolism. They're determining the set point of inflammation. They're regulating our immunity. They're manufacturing uh, various nutrients for the brain. They're controlling whether we have high levels of the happy chemical serotonin or not. And they're directly modulating the actual transcription, the activation of various parts of the human genome. The bacteria in the gut are changing your genetic expression. That takes a little bit of a, a pause there because right. who knew? Yeah, uh, And when you realize that this is a leverage point for controlling your own DNA expression, then you begin to understand that it's time that we start to respect our microbiome, respect these bacteria, and realize they're not just there, but these commensal organisms, commensal meaning co-together, mensa means eat. They're eating what we eat. Whatever you eat ends up in the, in, on the plate of these bacteria, determines whether they're going to be healthy or not. And their health plays a huge role in your health. They determine inflammation, the cornerstone of coronary artery disease, of type 2 diabetes, of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, autism, and even cancer. So uh, this is a, a revolution in our understanding. This is right on par with the germ theory of discovering mm -hmm. bacteria in the first place. You know, we've been trained to fear bacteria. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you go back to the 14th uh, century, the bubonic plague wiped out a third of Europe. So bacteria have always been looked upon as being nasty, bad players. But then, you know, with the work of Metchnikoff uh, 100 years ago, we began recognizing that there are probiotic, for life aspects uh, to bacteria. And now we recognize that this three-pound organ, about the same weight as the human brain, mm -hmm. that is now clustered in the intestines, again, modulates every important life factor, health factor in our physiology. And it's going to be uh, the most powerful area of science moving forward now that the, the ice has been broken. It's, it's very, very exciting. And for me as a neurologist, yeah. Yeah. finally paving the way not so much in terms of a treatment, although that's coming. We've already seen some examples, and we'll talk about those later on. Yeah, yeah. But really in terms of keeping the brain healthy, the notion of preventive medicine now in the arena of the brain and recognizing that, as a matter of fact, brain health is, uh, uh, aligns itself so much more with the notion of preventive medicine 
than any other part of the body, than the heart, than the immune system. So this is a, as you can see, based upon my level of animation, it's a yeah. very, very exciting time. The fire has been lit and there's no going back. So now that we've kind of uncovered what was beneath that rock that was holding us down for so long, what is the state of our gut health? You know, if, if it's something that's been ignored for a really long time, I would imagine we're not doing too well. We're not. And uh, it turns out that it's become very clear that the sad state of health of Western cultures really does relate back to the sad state of the health of the gut bacteria, mm -hmm. health of the microbiome, and that is strongly influenced by our environmental choices, mostly being the food that we eat. Uh, in research dating back to 2011, uh, there was a wonderful study that characterized the differences in the gut bacteria of children living in sub-Saharan Africa versus those living in Western cultures, in this case in Northern Europe. This is kind of a landmark study uh, that uh, looked at the, the, the signature of these bacteria and found that those kids living in very rural, very somewhat more primitive population centers uh, actually had a high degree of diversity of the gut bacteria in comparison to those kids eating a Western diet. Mm -hmm. Genetically, no difference. Mm -hmm. You know, people can migrate from areas to other areas, change their diet, and there's a huge change in the microbiome. Yeah. And the changes that we see in comparing the gut bacteria of sub-Saharan rural uh, children compared to Western, um, a more Cosmo a diet and population centers uh, is really quite vast. And the implications when you look at two major groups of bacteria called the Firmicutes and the Bacterioidetes, that you see, and that represents 80% of the bacteria in the gut, matter of fact, that the African subset has a far lower level of Firmicutes versus Bacterioidetes as opposed to what we have uh, in Western cultures. We have far greater overgrowth of the Firmicutes group mm -hmm. and less of the Bacterioidetes. Why is that important? Higher levels of Firmicutes are associated with obesity, diabetes, inflammation, and even activating maladaptive gene pathways from our own DNA. So we've got to do everything we can to nurture a better microbiome that has a much more diverse array of bacteria. Of bacteria. And we do that, first of all, preserve the microbiome uh, in a number of ways. And we'll talk about each of these. But sure. Right off the bat, how you were born uh, has a huge role to play in the microbiome that you do or do not acquire. Being born by vaginal delivery allows that baby to pass through the birth canal. And in the birth canal, there lives a whole host of life-sustaining bacteria that that newborn will have all in his face, in his nose, in his mouth, and that will inoculate uh, that child with bacteria. It's a microbial baptism that mm -hmm. children undergo at birth that allows their immune system to develop. It helps to heal the gut lining right off the bat, and it allows them to digest breast milk. Mm -hmm. So it's really very important that uh, newborns have this in the process of being born. Now, children who are born by C-section do not pass through the birth canal, obviously, and do not have that microbial baptism. And again, I want to emphasize, as I did in the book, a brain maker, that C-sections are important. They're a good thing if they're necessary to help 
reduce risk for mother and baby if there is a complicated delivery. Mm -hmm. Wonderful procedure. But right now in America, one-third of births is uh, C-section birth. Wow. Uh, it's higher in some countries, but remarkably less in others. So it's not like we have a higher rate of birth complication, therefore need C-sections in comparison to certain countries in, in Scandinavia, but right. yet their rates of C-section are much lower. It is at times, to call it like it is, a matter of convenience. So we've got to understand that being born by C-section deprives a newborn of a very powerful event in terms of priming their microbiome mm -hmm. and might well explain why children born by C-section have a significantly higher risk of becoming autistic, suffering from ADHD, celiac disease, type 1 diabetes, the autoimmune type, mm -hmm. and even becoming obese during adulthood being strongly related to being born by C-section. So, got to take a step back. Yeah. Next step, breastfeeding. Got to breastfeed if at all possible. There's a lot more going on with breastfeeding than just the transfer of nutrients and immunoglobulins. There are bacteria on the skin of the breast that that child imbibes and will become part of his or her microbiome. And finally, the other thing that I think is really relevant to our children is what we're seeing in America today, a substantial overusage, in my opinion, of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. A kid gets a cold or a sore throat, and right away, off they go to the walk-in clinic, and mom and dad walk out with a prescription for a very powerful, broad-spectrum antibiotic, despite the fact that journals like the Journal of the American Medical Association and Lancet are telling doctors that we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be prescribing antibiotics for colds because basically they're useless. Mm -hmm. And yet, people want to get better quickly, and that's what kids do, and frankly, that's what adults do as well. I got to get back to work, doc. Can you right. call something in for me? And I typically tell my patients, look, if I call in an antibiotic for your cold, you'll be over it in a week, but if you don't take the antibiotic, it's going to last seven days. So mm -hmm. it takes them a little while to pick up on the fact that I'm trying to you know, play with them a little bit. Sure. But the bottom line is, we are substantially overusing antibiotics, and these antibiotics have a huge impact on the health and the diversity of the microbiome and might well explain some of the significant trends in illness, in obesity, in autism that we are seeing today. You know, one of the interesting graphs that I put in um, BrainMaker was this interesting correlation of data published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that demonstrated a correlation between the amount of antibiotics a woman takes and her risk of developing breast cancer. Now, I'm not really here to tell you, Abel yeah. James, that the antibiotics cause breast cancer. That's mm -hmm. not what the study was about, but it was a correlative study. It sure. showed that Women generally taking more antibiotics have a higher risk of developing that problem. It wasn't causality. But when we recognize that the microbiome is changed by antibiotic exposure and that the microbiome is important in detoxification and allowing our bodies to rid itself of chemicals, in immunity, allowing our bodies to recognize potentially damaging cells like cancer cells, then when you see a study like that and you look at the graph that's in BrainMaker, 
you begin to wonder. Mm-hmm. And that's all I want my readers to do is simply wonder. Maybe you connect the dots, but at least understand this is put out by the American Medical Association. Right. And let me just uh, add one more uh, piece of that puzzle. It's good to avoid antibiotics unless they're necessary. Clearly, there are times when we need antibiotics. They can be life-saving. Actually, there are two points I'll make now that I'm thinking about. Number one, the World Health Organization has characterized antibiotic resistance as one of the top two health concerns moving forward in the 21st century. The more we overuse these antibiotics, the more we create these antibiotic-resistant organisms or superbugs that uh, create infections for which we have no treatment Mm -hmm. in the future. We're seeing that more and more. I can promise you when I was in medical school and during my residency, we had never heard of something called MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph aureus. That's a staph infection of the skin uh, that can be fatal and oftentimes very recalcitrant or very resistant Mm -hmm. to antibiotic treatment. We're seeing that more and more. We're seeing more and more antibiotic-resistant organisms. The other point I'll make is um, to understand that here in America, 75% of the antibiotics that are used actually go into raising livestock and not for human, well, the livestock is for human consumption. I mean, the antibiotics weren't manufactured to be given to humans, and yet Uh, You talk about uh, creating a scenario for creating uh, antibiotic-resistant organisms as well as changing the the microbiome based upon antibiotic exposure. Wow, three times as many antibiotics used by people are used in animals. And you got to wonder, why is it that uh, the farmers give the livestock antibiotics? And the answer is really quite simple because it has been shown since the 1950s that when you give animals antibiotics, they get fat. Mm-hmm. And we see the same thing in humans. Dr. Martin Blazer wrote a book called Missing Microbes. And in that book, he talks about uh, his concern about this relationship, for example, that childhood obesity. Yeah, it has a lot to do with the food that these kids are eating. But beyond that, it may also have to do with changes in their microbiome. Right based upon their exposure, left, right, and center, to antibiotics. When you favor bacteria that extract more calories from your food, you're going to get fat. Mm -hmm. When you create a microbiome that thinks that you're starving and therefore has to extract more calories from a given meal, you're going to get fat. I mean, uh, this research goes back from a Dr. Gordon uh, five, six years ago, where he actually transplanted of the human microbiome of of an obese person into a laboratory rat Mm -hmm. and found that immediately the laboratory rat got fat. Right. Even though they didn't change the food and even though it had a a, a mate in its cage that was given exactly the same calories, exact same food, all of a sudden you change the microbiome and this thing blew up like uh, like a balloon. Right. And more recently, we saw a very interesting case of a woman who for the treatment of a bacterial infection of the gut called Clostridium difficile had received a treatment called fecal transplant where Mm -hmm. fecal material from another person was transplanted into her colon. That is the treatment of choice today for Clostridium difficile diarrhea. Works like a a charm. Mm -hmm. 
And she decided to use her daughter as a donor, knowing that her daughter was healthy, hadn't been exposed to HIV or other things. So she chose her daughter. And right away after the fecal transplant, this patient got cured of her C. diff, wow. but got fat. She, got, she gained all kinds of weight. Huh. Guess what? Her daughter was remarkably overweight at the time she had given mm -hmm. uh, the donor specimen. So while the daughter was healthy by some parameters, she wasn't healthy as it relates to her body mass index, mm -hmm. then mother got fat by trans, uh, having a transplant of her daughter's fecal material. So, wow, this is incredible information that yeah. these bacteria living within us control our destiny. And, you know, when you think, well, my destiny is controlled by my, uh, my code of life, my DNA, my 23,000 genes that I inherited from mom and dad. Well, the truth of the matter is that 99% of the DNA in Abel James's body is not from your mom and dad. Mm -hmm. It's contained in the bacteria that live in your intestines who outnumber your body cells 10 to one. Isn't that amazing? So you are 10 times more bacteria and 99% of your DNA is bacterial. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a, a really, um, it's a game changer, no doubt. Yeah. And again, from my perspective, when we understand that so many of our most challenging brain disorders, be they uh, dementia, cognitive issues, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, and even depression are at their core inflammatory. We now mm. fully understand that markers of inflammation dramatically correlate with levels of depression that we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, well, where in the heck is inflammation coming from? And that points to the gut. So yeah. think about that, that the discussion that you and I are having right now about depression, for example, is pointing the finger at the gut. And again, we wondered why all these years we hadn't found the answers to depression and autism and Alzheimer's. We've been looking in the wrong place. Right. Slick Willie Sutton was a bank robber. And somebody asked him, why do you rob banks, Slick Willie? And he said, that's because that's where the money is. Mm -hmm. So... You know, you might think, well, if it's a brain disorder, we ought to be looking in the brain. We did that and we came out empty-handed. It's in the gut. And that's the central thesis of Brain Maker. Mm -hmm. The second brain is what I've heard it called in, in many instances. And I think it's important that people recognize that it's not just all germs down there. <laughs> a, our bodies are pretty smart. And when you essentially throw a napalm bomb like antibiotics down there, you combine that with the fact that we're kind of germaphobes, germaphobes in our daily behavior. Um, you start to see that maybe there's something to <laughs> focusing on gut health. So what can we do um, to, if you start with something that's inherently broken after, you know, basically fighting an uphill battle to be healthy in your gut your entire life, just as a matter of fact that we live in uh, the Western world or the U.S., what do you do to rehab your gut? How, how can you make this better? There you go. That's, uh, again, the empowering part of our time together. So we've laid the groundwork for things that make a good gut go bad. What can damage the microbiome, the overusage of antibiotics, the non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs, the acid-blocking drugs, uh, drinking chlorinated water. Mm -hmm. We're very concerned about the residual amounts of glyphosate or Roundup mm -hmm. that permeate our foods, especially those that have been genetically modified. These are traumas to the gut bacteria. What's the up, up, upside of the story? 
and that is that the gut lends itself wonderfully to being rehabbed. Uh, the most aggressive treatment for rehabbing the gut I had mentioned peripherally, and that is this concept of taking healthy fecal material from somebody who's lean and healthy and uh, transplanting that into the colon of a person who is sick or has a sick microbiome. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about uh, why uh, your, your viewers, by and large, don't need to consider that in just a moment, but sure. let me give you another bit of interesting uh, information, and that is I had the opportunity to uh, attend a symposium at Harvard uh, last September. One of our speakers uh, was a physician, Dr. Max Newdorp uh, from Amsterdam, and he's done really the pioneering work in looking at the relationship between these changes in the microbiome and becoming metabolically unstable, like mm-hmm. becoming a diabetic. And he has well characterized what the gut bacteria look like in the diabetic and he scratched his head and say, if this is the case, what would happen if we reprogrammed the gut bacteria? And what he did and what he presented at Harvard was his uh, results in treating over 250 patients with type 2 diabetes by doing fecal microbial transplant. Wow. And it was a double-blinded study. Mm-hmm. Some, uh, those individuals who received the healthy stool donor uh, had reversal of their diabetes by giving them normal fecal material. Yeah. Pretty wild. Now, you might wonder how it could have been a double-blind study. I mean, you probably know if you're getting a fecal transplant. <laughs> right. right. But it was very clever what he did. He actually transplanted back to the people who were the uh, part of the double-blind who got the placebo their own fecal material so that they never really okay. knew what yeah. they were getting. So um, I had the opportunity in October of this year to chair an international symposium on the microbiome, and he will be coming over from Europe to update us as to his uh, results with this procedure. Uh, but that said, you know, uh, we now are seeing that uh, University of Arizona has just completed recruiting uh, children with autism uh, to be treated with fecal transplant hmm. to determine their outcome. Because we know that autism is a, an inflammatory condition and has a very a significant uh, change uh, identified with it in terms of the gut bacteria. Right. These kids have dramatic gastrointestinal issues from, from day one. Mother and father talk about them. It's the first thing they mention when you ask, well, when did you first think something was awry? And long before they said, well, my son didn't speak or became socially uh, inattentive, they say he had such uh, bowel issues even as, a, as an infant. So. Mm. Oh, you know, researchers have identified changes in the gut bacteria in autistic children to the extent that now University of Arizona is moving ahead with that. Yeah. Well, that said, I presented in BrainMaker a case of it, one of our patients, uh, an autistic 10-year-old, um, who underwent fecal microbial transplant. I didn't perform the procedure, nor do I, mm-hmm. but it was performed, and it's explained in the book how mother was able to achieve that. And I was in Frankfurt, Germany, giving a lecture uh, when, before my lecture, my uh, cell phone rang, and it was a video sent to me by uh, Jason's mother of him talking to her, interacting, becoming socially intact by having fecal transplant. And we actually have put his video, this video and his case report, on our uh, website, drperlmutter.com, for people to read about and for people to, to watch. Watch this video. Now, it's, mm-hmm. it's one case, but 
And I'm not saying this is the treatment or the cure for autism, but mm -hmm. understanding that a well-respected medical school is now exploring this with uh, a large number of children and understanding that inflammation is at the key cornerstone of autism and multiple sclerosis for that matter. We have a case of MS of a man who could barely walk, went to Europe, had several fecal transplants and now walks without a cane. Wow. Uh, his video is on our website, drpromutter.com as well. Mm -hmm. Is fecal transplant the cure for MS? I'm not saying that, let me be clear. Mm -hmm. But Dr. Barodi in Australia has published in the journal Gastroenterology his success in treating MS patients by pushing the reset button on their gut bacteria by giving them fecal material from a healthy donor. I can assure you that wasn't part of my neurology residency and probably still is nowhere near uh, most medical school training programs, sure. but you and I both know that this is the future and how cool for Abel James, fat burning man, to be uh, right on the vanguard of this really empowering information. Well, I think it's, you know, I think it was Rob Wolf who came on my podcast years ago and he said um, gut health is something we're going to be talking about a lot and kind of within these tiny little communities, it is something that we've really been than talking about a lot. A lot of people are, um, <laughs> they kind of want to avoid the subject of fecal transplants for obvious reasons, even in conversation, because it's an uncomfortable thing. Like the, you must be fighting an uphill battle when it comes to gut health, just because of how unsightly it is to think about, you know, in, in, in that sense. So, Hey, you know what? I say, bring it. Yeah. Um, and your book does such a wonderful job of that. Um, and I appreciate that. You know, a year from now or two years from now, you and I are going to get together again and we're going to go, wow, mm -hmm. look how far we've come. Right. Why do you suppose more than $100 million was dedicated to the Human Microbiome Project? Mm -hmm. Why? Because there are huge answers there. There are going to be huge leverage points for treating illness and even more importantly, from my perspective, for keeping people healthy in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, when the human genome was sequenced, that was a marvel of science. And everybody thought, oh my gosh, this is going to really open the door to treating so many diseases. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't. It yeah. was somewhat disappointing in that it wasn't leveraged uh, to make significant changes uh, in our approach to so many illnesses. The tables are turned now. The human microbiome is an area that we can target and... Um, I would be certain that you know, mainstream pharmaceutical companies are deeply involved in looking at ways that they can create products to even target specific diseases by reprogramming the gut bacteria. Right. But I want to um, take a step back and respond to the question about then what do you do to rehab the gut? Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned what makes a good gut go bad, but how do you rehab the gut short of doing fecal transplant? Again, I present that because that is the ultimate in gut rehab. And as far as procedures go, very simple and straightforward compared to a lot it of really other is. things that people are looking at, right? It really is. There is a huge ick factor. Sure. Uh, no question about it. I mean, think of what it is we are proposing as we talk about that. Mm -hmm. And um, I have heard every possible joke that you can imagine in dealing with this topic. So I'm don't, sure you I would hope you could come up with something new after the show and, and <laughs> right. let me know. But with that said, um, I think that uh, we have to recognize that we can very quickly repopulate the gut with great 
health-supportive probiotic bacteria by simply choosing to eat fermented foods. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing absolute explosion in the popularity of, for example, kombucha as a yeah. beverage, kimchi, a fermented a Korean traditional uh, dish that's made from cabbage or cucumber, et cetera, very spicy, mm -hmm. um, just explodes with, with good probiotic bacteria, cultured yogurt, fermented eggs, meat, fish, vegetables, sauerkraut. Um, I did an interview earlier today with a Fortune magazine, and mm -hmm. the interviewer asked me, well, do you think that uh, the industry, that food uh, industry is looking at this, and I know that they are yeah. uh, in a very, very big way because the word is getting out right now that focusing on these prebiotic foods as well as, uh, rather probiotic foods, mm -hmm. as well as um, taking a, a powerful probiotic that you might find at your health food store, mm -hmm. and also prebiotic food, meaning foods that are very rich in prebiotic fiber that will then enhance the growth of um, the good bacteria that live within you. Mm -hmm. uh, foods that contain things like FOS, fructooligosaccharides, or inulin, things like um, dandelion greens, jicama or Mexican yam, Jerusalem artichoke, um, onions, leeks, garlic. These are foods that are rich in inulin, chicory root, for example, mm -hmm. and amp the growth of the good bacteria that then, then go on to uh, doing all of the wonderful things that they do. Uh, perhaps uh, one of the most important things is they maintain the integrity of the gut lining, and that is critical for health. We have one cell, one cell barrier uh, in the, uh, extending from the esophagus all the way through the rest of the digestive mm -hmm. system that is the, the gatekeeper between what's in the intestine and what's in the systemic circulation. Obviously, it has to let certain things through, like our nutrients, etc. But when it is not appropriate, when it is leaky, when the junctions that keep the cells juxtaposed become compromised, due to an imbalance of the bacteria, mm -hmm. then things from inside the gut will get into the systemic circulation, and that will lead to inflammation and uh, alterations in immunity, setting the stage for autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. So we can measure that, as a matter of fact. There is a standard way now of measuring that by what is called LPS. And LPS stands for lipopolysaccharide, and that needs to stay in the gut. It doesn't need to get into the systemic circulation. It's part of the bacteria that live in the gut. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it gets out into your bloodstream, it powerfully amplifies your inflammation uh, status and plays havoc with immunity. Mm -hmm. So you can measure LPS. And um, laboratory studies uh, allow that. Doctors do it in their offices now. And as a matter of fact, uh, in the book that you've seen, we have graphs that show much higher levels of markers of LPS in such things as autism, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, a, uh, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, and even in depression. Even with major depression, there's a direct correlation between levels of markers of LPS, meaning gut is leaky and inflammation has been turned on, mm -hmm. and major depression. So again, we look upon depression as an inflammatory disease that looks back at the gut 
in terms of the balance of organisms. You know, our treatment of depression is minimally effective mm -hmm. these days with the so-called SSRI antidepressant medications. Right. But when we target the gut bacteria and therefore target this leakiness of the gut and overall inflammation, that's when we're going to begin to see some powerful changes uh, in terms of mood. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. We put people on the program like we've now talked about for depression. We rehab their gut bacteria as an intervention for depression. Wow. Who knew that the gut bacteria could affect a person's perception of the world? Right. Well, having said that, that is a rhetorical question because... Um, as a matter of fact, Dr. Emrin Meyer at UCLA, a couple of years ago publishing in the journal Gastroenterology, had a group of 36 women. And it was a four-week study. One group got a, a probiotic-enriched uh, yogurt. The next group got yogurt without probiotics. And the third group got a placebo. Mm -hmm. And what Dr. Meyer and his group did was he performed what's called a functional MRI. It looks at areas of the brain that are active or not. Got a few of those at Dartmouth. <laughs> I have yeah, so many pictures did, uh, of my brain. Uh, the, that's true. Uh, he did this fMRI uh, exam on these women after four weeks on each of those uh, types of food additives. Mm -hmm. And at the same time he was doing the fMRI, he was showing them photographs of people with very threatening faces, kind of an emotional challenge. Yeah. And what he noted was in those women who were given the probiotic-enriched yogurt in comparison to the others there was a much reduced emotional response. Their brain stems didn't activate as dramatically hmm. as opposed to the women who didn't simply get probiotics added to their diet. What does it mean? It means that consuming foods that had certain strains of bacteria changed the way these individuals appreciated and responded to the world around them. It changed these people just by changing their gut bacteria. That's a very profound uh, study. It's a profound notion, especially when you think about the idea that therefore our food and the foods that are eaten in various cultures affect the global response to threats, to uh, understanding whether we get along or not. It's, you, know, you could take this to the, to the big microbiome, to the yeah. planet, yeah. in which case we as humans become the bacteria and the body becomes Gaia, the planet that for whom we uh, are serving as the microbiome and sure. for whom we are determining her health. Yeah. How's her gut health these days? <laughs> not so good. Yeah. We're not treating the host as we should. So uh, it's an interesting uh, metaphor, but I think it really works. Yeah, it does work. I, I like it. Now, I'd be, I'd be interested to ask you... Um, because obviously you've been studying this for a long time. You've, you've done your homework. How has it changed your plate, the things that you eat every day? We'll have to talk about some of the recipes in here too because I, I love it's, it. It's now going past eating low-carb and gluten-free mm -hmm. with added amounts of good fat to the diet, which has been you know, kind of a staple for me uh, over the past five years. Now, in addition to that, which we know is a really good diet for the microbiome, we add in the probiotic-enriched foods, so kimchi is now in my refrigerator, uh, fermented foods. Making kombucha is cool. I mean, yeah. it's simple to do. You can make a gallon of, of kombucha in a couple of in about a week. Yeah. Uh, you know, dark tea, 
you add in the mother that you can buy online or buy at the health food store and you put in tons of sugar. Did you hear me right? Tons of sugar? Yes, because it gets <laughs> fermented. For Don't worry about it. It's going to be gone <laughs> yeah. by the time you drink that. Dare these lips have said that. So we have lots and lots of fermented food, mm -hmm. and I've really developed a taste for the whole uh, array. But also, uh, last night, I was home alone. My wife was uh, traveling home uh, this morning. So I had to cook dinner, which wasn't the end of the world, and I have a walk. And in that walk went a lot of kale mm -hmm. and a whole hand of, not a hand, a bunch of dandelion greens, really rich in inulin. Yeah. Uh, and some free-range chicken and a lot of olive oil. And that was dinner. And I was as happy as a clam at high tide. Yeah. Why? Because here we're talking about a low-carb, good fat, but a fiber-rich meal. Right. And I spice it up once I served it with a little bit of kimchi. So... You know, the trick is to get that fiber back into your diet. And everyone's been talking about fiber for such a long time being really good for gut health. But how intriguing it is to see new publications talking about, for example, treating asthma in children by giving them dietary fiber. Hmm. Holy Toledo. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Giving dietary yeah. fiber to treat asthma? Wait a minute. Asthma is a lung issue and you're... The gut, the gut and the lung are miles apart, yeah. right? Not so. Everything's connected. My goodness. So uh, what does dietary fiber do? It increases prebiotic fiber. It increases the level of good bacteria that, as you and I have talked about earlier, heals the gut lining. We get less transgression of LPS, mm -hmm. less activation of the immune system, and asthma is an immune problem. So treating asthma by targeting the gut, treating psoriasis and other inflammatory issues of the skin, treating arthritis, treating brain disorders, treating dementia, treating autism, and treating depression by targeting not just the gut, but the gut bacteria. Yeah. And here's the big news. I think that's really going to take off. Treating obesity by changing the gut bacteria and supplying bacteria now through what we've talked about that will extract less calories from a given meal. So the key to feeling better in terms of your mood, losing weight, uh, you know, it, it's changing your gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. And again, this is new territory. Uh, we're now, uh, it's like discovering the new world. Holy Toledo, look at all, all we have now. Uh, to to change our perception of things. It's so super exciting. So let me ask you this. How did you, because uh, obviously Grain Brain was very well received by uh, by so many communities and an awesome book in and of itself. But how did you kind of make that that shift into um, the, the topic of your current book and kind of connecting the gut to the brain? Well, one of the things I've been exploring then for the past couple of years, uh, even while I was writing uh, Grain Brain and as it was being published was, yeah, we know that low-carb works and higher good fat and eating foods that are fiber-rich and nutrient-dense. We know it works. Gosh, I mean, you look at the results that we've gotten and the results that people have published online, pretty breathtaking. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to explore more deeply why. What is happening mechanistically here uh, that may explain it? So, you know, when you and I last talked, we talked about how higher levels of blood sugar change proteins through a process called glycation. When sugar binds to protein, that leads to inflammation. Well, I don't know that we fully understood the mechanism by which that happens and how glycation of proteins through higher sugar in the blood and in the 
diet leads to increased free radical activity. We now know that higher levels of sugar do a couple of things. They change the gut bacteria, as we mentioned, leads to permeability that turns on inflammation and more important, well, not more importantly, but actually you're getting the scoop on this (laughs) from an interview perspective. Glycated proteins, when sugar binds to protein, as happens when your blood sugar is elevated, Mm -hmm. increases the leakiness of the gut. So that's pretty exciting. So key things that increase gut permeability are uh, usage of things like antibiotics, uh, gluten, uh, and glycated proteins. These are powerful factors that lead to gut permeability and therefore enhance inflammation in the body and lead to every bad thing you don't want to get. So yeah. uh, it's, it's exciting. And um, I don't sleep on these things. Uh, I, I mean... It, Two o'clock in the morning, if I get awakened by an idea, I'm all over it. Yeah. I'm like you are on the I internet. The feeling, yeah. Could these things connect? And suddenly you find this information. And what I'm really happy to say is that now with BrainMaker, Grain Brain was fully validated. It is exactly mm. what we should have been recommending back then. And beyond that, how incredible it is that the United States Dietary Advisory Committee just six weeks ago came out and said, Hey, the issue is not dietary fat and cholesterol. It's the carbs. <laughs> Duh. We've been saying that for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, it's, it is uh, this diet of low carbohydrate, higher fat is, is a revolutionary diet. Again, it's only what humans have eaten for a couple million years. So right. it's hot off the press. Yeah. But that said, humans have always eaten foods that are high in prebiotic fiber. Mm-hmm. It's been estimated that our hunter gatherer forebears consumed about 135 grams of prebiotic fiber every day. Typical American, it's only five grams a day. So, you know, we ate what we found on the ground, and generally that was fiber-rich, very low-carb fruits and vegetables, as well as what we could kill or what was already (laughs) dead, and that had wonderful levels of good fat. So, you know, the idea of, of fermentation Humans have been fermenting foods for over 7,000 years, mm-hmm. actively fermenting foods. And prior to that, you know, it, it doesn't sound pleasant, but when food goes bad, it, uh, it is fermenting. That's yeah. the process. And people didn't have the luxury of throwing things out. You know, we are, we're very much hand to mouth, as many humans still are on this planet, and wouldn't throw out food that had started to ferment milk that had started to sour, mm-hmm. meaning what? It's fermenting. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, these are all very interesting concepts that I'm happy validated Grain Brain. Um, and so these books work uh, in tandem. Uh, again, but the cornerstone here is that what you eat is fundamentally important. Now, from the perspective of feeding these bacteria who eat what we eat, they yeah. are our commensals, and mm-hmm. we share the table with them. And they're influencing your mood, how you are perceiving what's going on around you. Are you happy or sad? Mm-hmm. Are you going to succumb to a neurodegenerative condition or not? Will your child have autism or not? It's, it's a huge stretch, and I still find myself questioning it. But that's what our most well-respected scientists are telling us. A feature yeah. article just last month in Scientific American focused on the gut-brain connection through the lens of the microbiome. So cool. It's, it's really happening. Yeah, I love it. Now, a quick question. How do you feel about digestive enzymes as kind of an over-the-counter or, or thing that you can buy in addition to probiotics? 
I think by and large today, people are enzyme deficient mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. And I, I think there really is a, a good place for enzyme supplementation, good natural enzyme supplementation uh, with uh, enzymes to break down uh, protein, fat, and uh, carbohydrate as well. Um, we know that the first activation of enzymes in normal, the normal case happens in response to eating food based upon the augmentation of stomach acid and how many people are just killing their stomach acid by using these acid-blocking drugs right. with this mistaken belief that it's the acid that's giving them their troubles eating the horrible foods that they're eating. You know, when you watch the commercials on the evening news, there's one where a man is trying to eat this sausage that he's holding in two huge slices of bread, yeah. and the sausage is turning away from him. So what does he do? Here he's getting a signal that this might not be the best food for him. So he'll force the issue and eat the bad food by popping a couple of acid-blocking drugs. <laughs> right. And then he's happy and the world is a better place, it's right? It's so American. <laughs> it is so American. It's the pill, one, uh, you know, this uh, billiard ball Newtonian response to, uh, to our, whatever ails us. Sure. The bottom line is, aside from the uh, enzyme issue that you characterize, which mm -hmm. is very important, Acid-blocking drugs, as I mentioned earlier, play havoc upon the microbiome. And we've got to recognize that, that acid-blocking drugs are associated with C. diff, this overgrowth of clostridial back, uh, bacteria in the gut uh, that affects more than half a million Americans and kills 30,000 of us right now. Wow. That's in the physician's desk reference. That's yeah. published information. Your viewers can look that up on Medline. It's mm -hmm. it's you know something to think about. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on time, but I want to make sure that we share some of your recipes in here because they're so. I just got a kick out of them because they're so right, <laughs> and like no one else oh, dares to put pickled eggs in their books. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe how easy it is to get started with fermenting some of your own foods at home? Well, let me let me tell you that I can do it. Yeah. And as far as <laughs> characterizing that as being easy, in our home, uh, my wife is uh, a great cook, and I have deferred that part of our time together to her because it's in my interest for obvious <laughs> reasons. So I, I do the bill paying, she, she, and she cooks. So it works really well. Sure. Uh, that said, uh, gosh, uh, making kimchi is really straightforward. I have a gallon uh, kimchi jar with a little thing on the top that allows the gas to escape as the food is fermenting. Mm -hmm. It is so straightforward. And as I mentioned, making kombucha, super easy. In fact, all the recipes in Brain Maker are very, very straightforward. They're all tested. They're all very, very easy. And I think that to um, look at your food in terms of not just that it tastes great and it's satisfying, but moving forward from today uh, forth, that your viewers of this uh, interview recognize that your food is talking to your gut bacteria, mm -hmm. and that is your most important leverage point for health today, as well as disease resistance tomorrow. And understand, again, as I mentioned earlier, that these gut bacteria are changing the expression of your DNA for better or worse. So when you look at creating the foods like the fermented eggs, mm -hmm. uh, the kombucha, the kimchi, etc. From that perspective, and um, understand that you can buy these things in a health food store, mm -hmm. I think it's really going to change buying patterns. 
And that is really letting food be thy medicine. It's, yeah. it's all about the gut. I mean, again, Hippocrates told us that information so very long ago. Now we're coming full circle and saying, matter of fact, you were right all along. Yeah. Eat food that's still alive and not slathered in things that kill it and all of the things that's inside right. you. <laughs> what a concept. It is. And again, for me as a brain specialist, to be spending all my time now talking about the gut, I think that's uh, so cool. realizing that you know these approaches to treating depression, for example, have only focused on the smoke and have ignored the fire. Right. The fire is inflammation. In fact, in Latin, the word inflammation comes from inflammar, mm -hmm. to light on fire. So we inflame, we cause flames to come out of our heads when uh, when we don't treat our microbiome appropriately. But the empowering news and what I ended Brainmaker on. Uh, is what do you do? How do you push that reset button? Mm -hmm. How do you get back in the game? And, and and that's really what this is all about. I mean, the word doctor doesn't mean healer; it means teacher. And I, I take that. Uh, you know, I, I I will carry the gauntlet here. And uh, um, will there be criticism? Of course, there's criticism uh, every day. If there weren't criticism, it means that no one thinks it's out of the box or. Right that I'm out on a limb. Mm -hmm. And when people say, yeah, you're out on a limb, I say, you're darn right. That's where the view is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Before we go, why don't you tell folks where they can find you? Uh, well, my website is drperlmutter.com, drperlmutter.com. Uh, Facebook is David Perlmutter, MD. Mm -hmm. And the book is Brainmaker, which is, uh, there, there it is. Have a <laughs> that looks like broccoli. Uh, Brainmaker is available at every bookstore, I guess, in America, all the online uh, bookstores. And um, I want you to know I sure appreciate this opportunity. We always have a good time together. And you if do. it's not fun, it's not worth doing. But it's sure, in my opinion, uh, great that you're uh, getting this information out to offer balance uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, I still have to hold to the doctrine of using peer-reviewed scientific information mm -hmm. to support what it is that, that I talk about. And I appreciate the platform. Absolutely. Well, uh, Brain Maker is the name of the book. It's another great one. And if you haven't checked out Grain Brain, make sure you check out that one, too. Uh, Dr. Perlmutter, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thank you so much, Abel. Have a great day. You, too. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Fat Burning Man. If you liked it, please take a quick minute to leave a review on iTunes. You can also find me on Twitter at Fat Burn Man and Facebook by typing in Abel James. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man? And here's some more good news. You can download and listen to all of them for free. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. I'll give you a second to type it in, fatburningman.com. Enter your best email to sign up for my newsletter, and you can access every show I've ever recorded. I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and some ridiculously good recipes as a special thanks for signing up for the newsletter. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now and enter your best email to get your free fat-burning download straight to your inbox and make sure you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you soon. Cheers. <laughs>